What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hey, this is John Katzian or Dr. K as some call me. I just wanted to give a friendly shout out to anybody who's listening here i just want to thank you for some of the likes this past week and continue i would encourage you to to like bald head bible my facebook page there and please leave comments about you know episodes or maybe ideas for future episodes that we might do and uh, i'd love to hear from you also feel free to email me at baldheadbible at gmail.com, baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you do that, I will reply when I notice it. But anyway, I try to uh, check that every day. And um, I just want to thank some of you friends who have liked it and some of you who have um, clicked that like button and um, have also made some comments. And that's the other thing is, I guess in the podcast world, if you could also like and comment on my podcast on the actual in iTunes or wherever it happens to be that also ups the level of my podcast and more people would then have a chance to listen to it and hear it and all that sort of thing so I um, just want to thank all of you who have already done that and just hey continue to do that and I just want to say this week we're going to continue with the story of Elijah and it sure is an exciting story to see how God works. And um, a lot of these things, these sermons, I've worked out over, I want to say, an 8 to 10 year summer camp preaching ministry that I've been working on. So a lot of these sermons come from a week spent with, I generally speak to 4th through 6th graders. I've also spoken at college retreats and also um, father and son retreats. And so I just uh, want to say, hey, if you like like what you hear and you'd like to schedule me for maybe a camp this summer again my my focus the, the audience I generally like to speak to are fourth through sixth graders because they are the best audience ever and my main goal is to reach people with the gospel with an understanding of Jesus Christ and what it means to follow him and and if I can reach a kid at that young an age man um, and get them turned on to following God. That w- w- Great things can happen. They recently had a Barna study that came out, and I don't have the reference with me right here right now, but it basically looked at and asked people in their 30s and 40s and 50s who had been in the church long-term when they had been saved. And the interesting thing is the majority of them had been saved before age 10, 11, and I'm thinking that's just right there at the junior age bracket. And um, Barna had suggested that maybe instead of putting all our eggs in the high school basket, churches should more look at maybe starting um, family ministries or targeting kids when they're younger. Because it seems like longevity in the church before the age of 10 before the age of 11, that's when people seem to get saved and, and commit their life to the Lord before they go through all those horrible hormonal challenges of the teenage years. Anyway, if you're interested and if you need a fourth through sixth grader speaker, hey, please email me. I'd love to look at your camp and to see if we'd be a good fit. And um, again, I, I a lot of these sermons are in four to five um sermon series because that tends to be when I speak at camps and I um it's come out of that heart of 
getting kids and the counselors excited about the study of the Bible. And that's one thing that I learned from John Collier, my um, Christian education teacher that at Pillsbury Baptist Bible College years ago, he said to me that, or he said to our class, he said that he thought I was a sin to make the Bible boring. And I have always held to that basic belief ever since. So anyway, would love to hear from you again. Um, like my Facebook page, uh, message me through that, uh, email me at baldheadbible at gmail.com. And I'm excited to hear. Let's get into Elijah part four. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Elijah, he poured gallons of water all over this altar, and we left him right with all of Israel standing around him, and before he had just seen six hours of 450 prophets crying out to God, crying out to their God, Baal, asking for him to, to bring the rain and actually to bring fire down because that was the contest, which God would win. Whichever God brought fire down, that was the one Israel was going to follow. And here, Elijah had made his chances even worse by pouring water all over it. And digging a trench and filling that with water. But instead of cutting himself and yelling and screaming for six plus hours and dancing, he simply kneels down, bows his head, and, and it says there in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36, what Elijah says, he says, O oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people, this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then I can imagine Elijah steps back steps away from the altar, and then all of a sudden, it says fire comes from out of heaven and just consumes that bull upon the altar. And it says the fire of the Lord fell and consumed that burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and then it licked up all the water in the trench, and all of it was gone. And then when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they start to cry, the Lord or Yahweh, the Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. The Lord is God. All of a sudden, thousands of Israelites saying the Lord is God. The Lord is God must have been such a great encouragement to Elijah. And he turns around and he says, all right, if the Lord is God, then we must destroy these prophets of Baal. And it says they grab the 450 prophets of Baal and bring them down to this brook called Kishon. They bring the 450 
prophets of Baal, and they bring him down to the brook Kishon. And there, Elijah, the people of Israel, they slaughter each one. Totally wipe him out. Now remember, Jezebel had just killed hundreds of prophets of Yahweh before, right? They had totally tried to wipe out any type of worship of Yahweh. And here, Elijah saying, we have to purge our land of the prophets of Baal and of the sin. We are the people of Israel, and we are God's covenant people. We are supposed to follow Yahweh, and so to purge the land, it starts with getting rid of the prophets. And as horrible as it seems, right there, they killed all of them, 450 of them. Then Elijah says, hey, Ahab, you got to get up and eat and drink because I think, and Elijah pokes his head up, I think I hear a rushing of rain. And Ahab, he's, no, I wonder why they didn't kill Ahab. Because he's God's anointed, maybe, because he is the king. Here he is, I'm sure, you know, with his entourage on his great throne. And maybe he'd been fasting the whole day, trying to get Baal to answer him. And when he saw what Yahweh did, maybe he was converted at that point. Maybe he was coming back to God. Oh, I don't know. But either way, it's interesting. Elijah says, the rain's coming. You better get up and eat. So Elijah, with his servant, he crawls to the top of the mountain. Remember, Mount Carmel looks out towards the Mediterranean. And Elijah says to his servant, hey, go and look towards the sea. And what do you see? And the servant goes maybe over a rocky outcrop a little bit, and he looks out towards the Mediterranean and sees nothing. So he comes back to Elijah and says, there's nothing. And Elijah, he is in a position of prayer. God has just answered him in miraculous ways with this fire coming down. But he knows that God still expects him to pray. And it says that Elijah is bent over. And he is praying. It says that he put his face between his knees. That's how far in prayer. And he's asking for God to answer. He knows God will answer. God has promised he will, but he still expects Elijah to pray. And so Elijah's praying. And he looks up and the servant says nothing. And so Elijah says, go look again. So he goes and looks and Nothing. And he comes back. Nothing, Elijah. And he says, go look again. And he sends him back and forth until the seventh time. I mean, I wonder if the servant at this point is like, good grief. This is this, this is like pouring water all over the, that altar. It's taking too much time. But he finally looks up the seventh time and he looks out and he sees it. Just a little, little cloud way off in the distance. And he comes back. Or maybe he's yelling at Elijah from where he's like, Hey, Elijah, behold, uh, I see something. It's it's a little cloud, like, like, a, like the size of a man's hand. I mean, you can imagine how small that is. I mean, look at your hand. I mean, that is not big at all. But the key thing is it was rising from the sea. Elijah stands up 
And he's excited. And he says, all right, I want you to go. Go down. Tell Ahab to prepare his chariot and get out of here lest the rain stop it. Because once that rain starts coming, this is all going to turn to mud. And his chariot wheels are going to get stuck in it. And so the servant goes down and tells Ahab. And he's, he's talking to Ahab slowly. That cloud gets bigger and bigger and bigger and starts to spread out and come bigger and darker big heavy rain clouds all of a sudden come above them on mount carmel and it says there the heavens grew in verse 45 in chapter 18 black with clouds and then a wind came and then it started to rain and rain and rain and those clouds finally after three years and six months it began to rain but it wasn't just a rain it was a gully washer it was a torrent of rain just coming down and i can imagine elijah he's just standing there letting the rain hit his face maybe he opens his mouth ah you know takes in some of the water I mean, think about it. Elijah hadn't felt rain for three and a half years, and it felt so cleansing. You can imagine it felt like, you know, that God, Yahweh, was wiping out the stench of Baal worship from his beloved Israel. And he finally felt cleansed. And, and it says that Ahab, he starts going. He starts to get out of here, but it's miraculous. Elijah also, it says that he hitches up his tunic and he starts running as well. And it says that the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. It says in verse 46 that he just took off and the hand of the Lord was upon him. And I can imagine every step he took, he maybe had a hundred yards, maybe he was bounding, boom, boom, or maybe he just ran really, really, really fast. I don't know. But he ran so fast that Elijah got ahead of Ahab. Now remember, Ahab's in a chariot. He's being pulled with three, four horses, you know, two, four horses. I mean, he's got horsepower, and here's Elijah running ahead of him. Why? Because the hand of the Lord is upon him, and he gets to their head into the town of Jezreel, and they're running in this pouring rain, and they're getting hit in the face, but they are so excited. It's finally raining, and Elijah gets there first, and he's like, yes. Maybe he sees Ahab come riding in eventually half an hour later. And Elijah's like, you have got to wipe out this evil Baal worship. You have got to get rid of it all. And maybe Ahab, his heart's beginning to turn a little. I can imagine Elijah's pacing back and forth and he's waiting by the palace gates because they still pretty much hate Elijah because, you know, he pretty much ruined Jezebel and Ahab's plan. And he waited for the king. I imagine Elijah's excited. He's waiting for the king Ahab, the king of Israel, to finally come out and announce Baal worship is dead. We will now worship Yahweh. We will go back to worshiping Yahweh. Yahweh is Israel's God. And I can imagine he waited. And Elijah paced back and forth. And the next day he waited. And, you know, and maybe, maybe tomorrow, you know, and he goes to sleep, wakes up the next day. Nothing in the headlines. You know. 
Maybe Elijah's finally thinking. Nothing's changing. Where's Ahab? Look what just happened on Mount Carmel. How come the people aren't just running around tearing down these centers of Baal worship? And, and he's looking around and nothing's happened. Nothing changed. I can imagine when Ahab got back, he bursts into the throne room and, and he looks at Jezebel. And Jezebel, man, she was tough. And she looked at Ahab, I can imagine, with a grimace on her face. And Ahab was like, oh, I'm not going to tell you what happened. And I can imagine he probably put his head down and started to walk away. And, you know, I can imagine that once Ahab got to Jezreel under the influence of Jezebel once again, I can imagine, you know, he was like, hey, maybe Yahweh's God. But once he got under Jezebel's influence, his tune changed, you know. He saw fire pouring down from heaven. He he saw the rain, which Baal was supposed to control, but guess who controlled it? Yahweh. And this rain was caused by another God, the one true God, Yahweh. And I can imagine he began to question, you know, is Baal worship right? Maybe I should go back to the worship of Yahweh of my fathers. But then there's Jezebel drumming her fingers, you know hearing probably what happened she does not look happy i can imagine she's saying hey abe 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 what happened well says ahab you know he sort of sits down a little scared of her elijah he, he challenged me to a duel of the prophets and and whoever got their god to bring down fire from the sky would win and israel would follow them well uh, Baal never answered, and Yahweh, he totally destroyed their altar with fire. It was amazing, Jezebel. You should have seen it. Yahweh won, and he was about to get excited when I can imagine Jezebel grabs him by the tunic and says, Abe, listen, I don't know what he did, but we've invested too much to lose the worship of Baal now. Plus... He just killed all my prophets. Some of those guys were my friends. Some of those guys I knew a long time. But more importantly, we are not going to lose Israel to the worship of Yahweh. We are going to continue to worship Baal. And I can imagine she lets go of him and she starts to throw some pots and pans at him. Do you know how mad that makes me? And she kicks the dog and chucks the cat at him. And do you know how angry that makes me? And all the time I can imagine Ahab is saying, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And Jezebel, she storms out and starts to write Elijah a threatening letter. It says in 1 Kings 19 that Jezebel doesn't back down. I mean, think about it. Baal lost. God, Yahweh, won in a dramatic victory. It was clear that Baal was a, was a useless God compared to the almighty God, Yahweh. But Jezebel, she doesn't care. She sits down and she writes a letter. And it says in 1 Kings 19 that she writes this letter and it says, Listen, Elijah, may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Think about what she just wrote. So essentially she's saying, My God, 
the little G gods I serve, they can kill me. I mean, she's putting her own life on the line. If I do not kill you by this time tomorrow. And there's Elijah at the gates of Jezreel, maybe pacing back and forth, wondering why things haven't changed when all of a sudden the FedEx messenger shows up or whatever they delivered messages by that time gives this note to Elijah. You know, he opens it. He reads this threat by Jezebel to kill him. And then Elijah crumples it up, I can imagine, and then runs. Elijah runs. He just runs. He starts running. He runs 125 miles. Think about how far that is. He runs 125 miles in the space of 24 hours. He just takes off. He is so scared. Elijah just saw Almighty God pour fire down from heaven. Just think he saw God help him raise a young child from the dead. He saw God provide for him and the widow of Zarephath and her widow's son, right? Through pancakes after pancakes, oil and flour that never ran out. But in response to this note from this evil queen, he acts like... He, he's in trouble. He totally, it's like he totally forgets what God has done for him. And like I said, in the space of 24 hours, one day, he runs from Jezreel all the way down to a place called Beersheba. And his poor little servant is trying to keep up with him the same way. You know, maybe he has to get a chariot just to keep up with him. Maybe he has to get a bicycle. I don't know. But when he gets down to Beersheba, Elijah says, all right. I want you to stay here. I can imagine he's puffing. He's got to be puffing, right? He just ran. That's pretty far. And he's scared to death. And he goes, all right, you've got to stay here. Just stay here. I'm going to go further. And he starts running. And he runs for one more day's journey into the Negev, into the desert. And there he finds... Something called a broom tree, which isn't that exciting of a name, but he finds a broom tree. It's this little brush, basically. It wouldn't give you much shade, but it was the only thing he could find in the middle of this horrible desert. And he hides under it, hiding from Jezebel. He is scared to death. And there it says that he screams to God, It is enough, Yahweh. Take away my life. For I am no better than my father's. And he starts to cry. And I can imagine he starts to weep. And he says, Lord, take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. His fathers weren't able to get rid of Baal worship to bring Israel back to the worship of Yahweh. But think about it. What was happening here? Where was the strong Elijah who had just faced down the 450 prophets of Baal all by himself? And he's afraid of a queen? Afraid of a woman? He had seen a dead boy raised to life. But you know what's interesting? Elijah stayed put till God told him to move, right? He, he said, rise up, go confront Ahab. So he did. 
when he left Ahab. God said, all right, go hide by this brook. So he did. So later on, he stayed there till God said, hey, get up and go find this widow of Zarephath. And so he did. But here, had God told him to run? Had God told him to run here to this broom tree? No. This was all of Elijah's own doing, you know. This was his, this was, this just came out of his own fear. And see, I think what you see here is an Elijah who, who is physically exhausted and just spiritually discouraged. And he's just not thinking right. He's also, in our terms, I can say he's just disappointed with God. Why didn't God just strike down Jezebel and Ahab right there with the same fire he used up on Mount Carmel? He could have. Why didn't the people change? I can imagine Elijah is heartbroken and just disappointed. And he just cries out to God, just kill me. Just please, just kill me. Take this all away. You know, we can, we can say we all have those moments, right? When we're so discouraged. And I'm going to say, if you haven't had those moments already, there are days when God's will makes no sense. And you can say with Elijah, I'm just disappointed with God. That is not the way I'd want it to work out at all. Why God? And sometimes God's will and his ways make no sense and seem unfair. And I think that is exactly where Elijah is. So Elijah lays down under this broom tree and says he falls asleep. See, I want to encourage you to trust in the Lord. You've got to trust in God. And, and our ways are not God's ways, right? But I also encourage you, you got to be in your right mind, which means what? You've got to get some sleep. You've got to eat right. Is your sugar level up? Did you eat some breakfast today? There's a reason you go to bed every night. You should have six to eight hours of sleep a day. You need to be physically where you should be so you can listen to God. You need rest. You need sleep. And that is what Elijah needed. You know, and it says there they fell asleep. Verse 5 there, and we don't know how long he was out for, but I can imagine he just fell asleep because that's what he needed. Then I can imagine he feels a touch on his shoulder. You know, I can a little touch at first and then a bigger touch. And then I can imagine, you know, the angel starts, Elijah, wake up, Elijah, wake up. And finally Elijah says, whoa, what? And he looks up. He sees a man. But there's something different about this man waking him up. This, this man, later on, though, right, the Bible says this is an angel. But it says that it wasn't any ordinary angel. This was the angel of the Lord. You know what's interesting? There's many people think the angel of the Lord, whenever you meet him in the Old Testament... It's probably Jesus. The big theological term is a theophany. God comes down in human form and he sees this angel. And, and it might have been Jesus before he was born. It might have been the God just manifesting himself to Elijah. I mean, he had a, a follower who needed his help. And so 
God shows up in angelic human form is the best we can say to encourage Elijah. And you know what's also interesting? This is the first time in all of the stories of Elijah that God sends a direct messenger to talk to him. I mean, angel literally means the, you know, messenger or sent one. But angel of the Lord, this could have been God himself physically talking to Elijah. You think he sent a messenger to him for the first time? Because he knew Elijah needed some help because Elijah was way off course here. And Elijah, I can imagine, was having some major doubts and God knew that. But you know what's interesting? Instead of yelling at him and punishing him, God shows up to comfort him. How? Through an angelic messenger and some food. He knew that the best thing for Elijah right now was to eat and restore his strength. That's what he needed. And I can imagine Elijah wakes up and he looks and, and he looks up and he sees that his head was a jar of water and lots of water because he needed to drink. Hello, he's in the middle of a desert. Hello, he just ran 125 miles and one day he has to be exhausted. And then cooking also on a bed of hot stones was, you guessed it, another pancake. So water and pancakes, this is exactly what Elijah needed. And he loves pancake, right? He lived on it for how many years? So he took it and began to eat it. And oh, I can imagine it tasted so good, the warmth of the pancake and the coolness of the water. Oh, it's just what he needed and it felt so good. And then... He was out again. I don't know how long he slept, but eventually the angel of the Lord had to nudge him again to wake him up. And he said, you need to eat. You need to eat all this food. I'm going to make you as many pancakes as you want. You're going to drink as much water as you want, because guess what? You've got a journey ahead of you, Elijah. And if you don't eat and get your strength up, you're not going to be able to make it. This journey is too great for you without this food. So he eats it and drinks and eats and drinks and then he gets up and begins to walk and begins to follow God again and it says God basically walked him from where he was in the middle of this desert all the way to Mount Horeb in 40 days and 40 nights now from where he is to Mount Horeb, it shouldn't take that long, maybe 18 days or something like that. But God basically takes him on this walk all around and all over the place for 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, that's longer than a month. There's 31 days in a month, right? That is a long time walking in something that would only take 18 days at the most. But you know what? I think God took him there in those 40 days. Can you imagine what God told him? Can you imagine how God began to encourage him and what he began to say to him? Can you imagine maybe the food that he gave him along the way? 
the communion and the time they spent together. I think this was all a plan of God because he knew Elijah needed to be encouraged. And eventually he ends up at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, as sometimes it's called. And, and this is the same mountain where Moses got the Ten Commandments, you know, where Yahweh had given Moses those Ten Commandments. And finally, Elijah gets there and says he finds a cave. And he goes in there and he rests, you know, I can imagine he maybe doesn't like the first cave he goes to. So he goes to the second cave. And, oh, here's a nice flat space I could lay out. And, oh, there's a nice little cove. I could maybe sit there and, and you know, and, and draw or think or talk to God. And so he's laying there in this cave, getting his strength back talking with God this whole time, but then God comes to him in this cave and asks him a very piercing question. He basically says to him, why are you here, Elijah? What are you doing here in this cave? I mean, God had not told him to go and, and run to that bush, right? Elijah you know, had wandered and walked and been all over the place. and But the amazing thing is that I think Elijah was out of God's will when he was over there hiding under the tree when he ran away. And I wonder in, in some of this wandering, instead of going to the mountain, maybe he tried to do his own thing. Maybe he was so discouraged. Maybe, maybe it wasn't all God leading him in those 40 days and 40 nights. Maybe it was some of Elijah's own desire to just give up. And maybe he was still struggling with discouragement. But you know what's interesting to me in the middle of all that wandering? God never abandoned him. You know, God never gave up on him, and he directed him gently and kindly to exactly where he wanted him to be at this cave, at this moment. And I want to encourage you, God works in the same way with us, doesn't he? You know, have you ever been somewhere physically somewhere where, where you knew you should not be? I remember once growing up, I was at a party, and I realized... There were bad things going on at this party, and I should not be here. And I finally woke up to my senses, and I thought, what am I doing here? And I think that's those moments when God is telling you, convicting you with the Holy Spirit, I think, get out of here. This is not where you want to be. So God says, hey, Elijah, why are you here? What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah says, listen, I, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. It says there in 1 Kings 19, verse 9. It goes on to verse 10. For the people of Israel, you know, they've forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They killed your prophets with the sword. And then he says this, I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. I can imagine Elijah still supremely discouraged and distraught. He knows he's not the only prophet left, right? He had met the prophet Obadiah. He had met that second-in-command Obadiah who said he had hid the other prophets in the cave, so he knew there were others. But in the midst of his depression, Elijah's just thinking about himself. It's such a human response, isn't it? 
And then God says again, I think very gently, very kindly. He says, all right, Elijah, what I want you to do is go out. Go out and, and I want you to stand in front of this mountain. I, I, I want you to stand on the mount before the Lord. So I imagine Elijah gets up and he walks out of the cave. Remember, this is Mount Sinai. You know, he's probably at the base somewhere, I think, or a little bit up. And he stands there and maybe stands on a boulder. And he looks out with the mountain behind him. Maybe it's getting towards evening. I don't know when this occurred, but it says in 1 Kings 19, verse 11, that when Elijah stood out there, all of a sudden, he hears... And all of a sudden, this huge, strong wind, it says, tore through the mountain, broken pieces, rocks, and can imagine tore over trees. And, and here's Elijah standing, probably trying to hang onto the rock in front of him to not be blowing over. And Elijah's thinking, I'm going to see God in this wind. And then the wind dies. And God's not in that. Elijah's like, that was weird. And then all of a sudden, he feels, looks down, and he sees his feet shaking, and he sees his arms shaking, his legs shaking. All of a sudden, the earth starts to crack around him. This is a massive earthquake. This is from God again. God spoke through fire. God spoke. He's going to speak this time in this earthquake again. Maybe cracks rocks in half and sucks down trees. But in the end, God didn't speak in this massive earthquake either. And then he can see, I can imagine, next he sees it's getting dark. All of a sudden, this flame bursts up, and it gets bigger and bigger. And it is this huge, massive fire, and it blazes in front of him. God, you know, is he there? Is he in this fire? This is God showing himself, and God's not in the earthquake. God's not in the wind. And God wasn't in the fire. And I can imagine Elijah runs back to this cave because he is scared to death of this fire. And he's hiding there in his cave. And he's probably thinking back to that question. Why are you here, Elijah? What are you doing here? God wasn't in the wind. God wasn't in the fire. God wasn't in the earthquake. Then he hears it. And all the Bible says is it's a low whisper. Or another way to say it is a thin silence. So can you imagine earthquake, fire, wind, all this noise and all this excitement, but God is in the thin whisper. Not the big noise, the thin silence. And Elijah is convicted. It says what he heard it in verse 13. He wraps his face in his cloak. He is so embarrassed. And he comes out and stands at the entrance of the cave. God asks him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah repeats his same refrain. I've been very jealous for you, Lord. 
But the people of Israel have forsaken you. And he again says, I am the only one left. Elijah won't give up on that. But the Lord says to him, go. Return back. Go back. And he gives him certain things that he wants Elijah to do. He wants him to anoint two kings. And he wants him to find his successor, the prophet Elisha. But then he says at the end, I'm going to give you hope. These two kings, they're going to take care of Ahab. They're going to take care of Jezebel. Elisha, he's going to do great things. Don't be discouraged, Elijah. And then he adds this in verse 18. But there are even 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Don't get discouraged. You're not alone. There are other believers. There are other followers of Yahweh out there. You are not alone. Just get up and follow me. Don't follow yourself. Get up and do what I ask you to do. Don't listen to the fear inside your heart. Instead, listen to me, Yahweh, the only ground of truth, the only hope you could ever have. Trust in me. And you know what? There's 7,000 who are doing the same thing, Elijah. Don't give up. Don't give up. So the rest of the first Kings here, 19 and following, we hear some great stories about Elijah and some of the miraculous things that, and some of the interesting adventures God takes him on. Then we hear about the prophet Elisha. But isn't it interesting to see that Elijah, as amazing a man as he is, as God used miracles after miracles in his life, he's still very much a human being, you know? given to physicalness where he gets tired and exhausted and it impacts his way of thinking and and how a fear something as simple as the fear of a queen who could kill him out 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 matches all of the wonders that he had just seen he is such a human being and that is such an encouragement to me that god still used him and I think it should also be encouragement to us that when we think we're alone and we think we're the only Christians still living for God, when we think we're the only ones still standing for the truth, it's not true. There are thousands of Christians who are standing up for God, for Jesus, every single day. And you need to find yourself a community of believers like that who can encourage you in your walk, who can encourage you in your faith. But again, I, I just want to say, if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, if you've never asked him to save you, then none of this matters, right? Then you can't call yourself a follower of God. You can't trust in the promises that Jesus gives to his children because you're not one of his. And so I encourage you, take that step of faith today. Ask him to save you. Pray and say, dear Lord, save me. And he promises that he will but if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, hey, be encouraged. Be encouraged that God takes ordinary people like Elijah and does miraculous things with them. And he can take your life if you're willing to give it to him. He can do amazing things. And the amazing adventures he wants to take you on if you just are willing to follow him. 
Baldhead Bible Podcast is created by Dr. John Katzian. Music composed and performed by Elijah Katzian. Edited by Lincoln Katzian. If you would like to listen to more of Baldhead Bible Podcast, please subscribe. New episodes added every week. 